Hello, my name is Bill Coughlin, and welcome to First Person Civil War Podcast, which retells the stories of the soldiers and officers on the ground in the battles of the Civil War. Episode 7 is entitled Sergeant McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina at the Battle of Antietam and relies on Sergeant J.J. McDaniel's unpublished diary entitled Diaries of Battles, Marches, and Incidents of the 7th South Carolina Regiment. J.J. McDaniel enlisted in Company M of the 7th South Carolina on 24 March 1862 in Leesville, South Carolina, where the Union Army set enlistments at time intervals, such as 90 days at the beginning of the war and three years a little later, J.J. McDaniel enlisted in this replacement company for the length of the war. The 7th South Carolina formed the year before, on 15 April 1861, at Camp Butler, South Carolina, and drew from counties along the Savannah River. The regiment was present at the Battle of First Manassas and was at Yorktown, Virginia, when Sergeant McDaniel arrived with Company M on 28 April 1862. The 7th South Carolina saw combat through the Peninsula Campaign, but missed the Battle of Second Manassas as their division remained around Richmond to guard against any final maneuvers of the Army of the Potomac as it marched back toward Yorktown. The 7th South Carolina was part of an all-South Carolina brigade, which consisted of the 2nd, 3rd, 7th, and 8th South Carolina regiments, commanded by Brigadier General Joseph B. Kershaw in McLaw's division under Major General James Longstreet's wing. The 7th South Carolina marched north toward Maryland with the Army of Northern Virginia on 2 September 1862 and crossed the Potomac River into that state on 6 September. McLaw's division detached from Lee's army and followed General Jackson to Harper's Ferry and on the morning of 12 September arrived at Elk Ridge, which are the heights north of Harper's Ferry. Sergeant J.J. McDaniel and Company M deployed as skirmishers on the right side of Elk Ridge and participated in clearing it for the entire day across a difficult, rocky terrain. As the advanced skirmishers gained the top, they were fired upon by the enemy's pickets, who immediately fled. We advanced along the mountain as near the crest as possible. Soon we came upon another picket post, driving them in. After a while, we came upon a third picket post, which we drove in with a volley. Beyond this point, Company M discovered the main Union force on the ridge, which halted their advance for the rest of the night. On the morning of 13 September, the 7th South Carolina continued its advance, but their commander, Colonel Aiken, ordered Company M to remain in the rear and rest. The Union forces that remained on Elk Ridge were dislodged that day. They now had a commanding view of Harper's Ferry below them and watched as the remainder of the Confederate force bombarded Harper's Ferry 
until 15 September, when it was ordered to march to support the upcoming assault. As the regiment prepared, they got word that Harper's Ferry surrendered and spent the night just outside the town. On the evening of 16 September, the 7th South Carolina received orders to march toward Maryland. The regiment recrossed the Potomac on the morning of 17 September, and Sergeant McDaniel was about to enter battle once more. At daylight on Wednesday, 17th, we were again fording the river at Shepherdstown. We were now pushed on towards Sharpsburg, some three miles distant. We could now distinctly see the bursting shells and clouds of smoke, which told of the fearful struggle into which we were rapidly hastening. As the 7th South Carolina maneuvered against Harper's Ferry, the Army of the Potomac began to engage the rest of the Army of Northern Virginia in Maryland. Portions of the two armies clashed on 14 September at South Mountain and Crampton's Gap, which forced Lee to concentrate his forces east of the town of Sharpsburg, Maryland. The Army of the Potomac, commanded by General McClellan, partially arrayed his army along Antietam Creek, which lay between the two. On the morning of 17 September, 1862, General McClellan began his attack against Lee. The battle was already a few hours old by the time Sergeant McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina arrived on the northern end of the unfolding battle. Arriving within a mile of the battleground, we were halted and stacked arms. About nine o'clock, we were ordered forward. Soon, the shells were flying fast and thick about us. The nearer we approached the line of battle, the faster we went, and the last half mile at double quick. Our knapsacks were now thrown off as we run, making our route look more like a retreat than an advance. We met Hood's brigade that had withstood the shock of battle since daylight, retiring. As we were being placed in line of battle, Hood rode up to us and said, If I had these troops this morning, this thing would have been over. We were now on the left wing of our army, where the enemy had been, and were still, making desperate efforts to force us back and turn our center. Had he done this from the nature of our position, our army would have been in a critical situation. Places such as the West Woods and the Cornfield changed sides multiple times between the Union 1st, 2nd, and 12th Corps and elements of both Jackson's and Longstreet's wings that morning, with one side attacking and the other counterattacking. As Sergeant McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina rushed to the battlefield, elements of these Union Corps advanced toward the Dunker Church. The 7th South Carolina and the rest of Kershaw's brigade of South Carolinians formed behind and to the right of the Dunker Church to meet them. Kershaw's brigade occupied the right of the division, the 2nd and 3rd in front, the 8th and 7th in the rear and a little to the right. Our line of battle extended along a ravine and the edge of some woods, which were some 300 yards wide. 
The 7th and 8th regiments were a little to the right of the woods and just got into position when an officer came galloping back saying, The enemy are advancing! The enemy came within 75 yards of these before they could see them, meaning the 2nd and 3rd South Carolina regiments, and were received with such a volley that thinned their ranks and stopped their advance. These volleys were now rolling along the entire line. Soon, the long, dark lines of the enemy were seen staggering back, broken and confused. At this moment, the 7th and 8th were ordered to advance. The routed enemy were flying through the woods, while we were pouring volleys into their retreating lines. Soon, we had driven them entirely through the woods, over a fence, into a field, to the top of a hill. By this time, they were so thoroughly disorganized that everyone seemed to be running his best and fast disappeared in a large cornfield in front. These regiments were the 125th Pennsylvania from the 12th Corps and the 34th New York from the 2nd Corps. Colonel James A. Souter, the 34th New York's commander, recounts the moments just before Sergeant McDaniel and his brigade smashed into them. Arriving on the open field, we were again ordered into line of battle, being at the double quick. We moved on this field to the Pike Road leading to Sharpsburg. Fronting this was a piece of timberland into which I moved my command, still at the double quick, arriving about 20 yards in the rear of a schoolhouse. This was the Dunker Church. When I discovered the enemy under the hill, I immediately ordered my command to fire, he continues. From some cause to me unknown, I had become detached from my brigade, the 125th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteers on my right. On my left and rear, I was entirely unsupported by infantry or artillery, and continues. At this time, I discovered that the enemy were making a move to flank me on the left, that both the 7th South Carolina and the 34th New York arrived on the battlefield at a run, highlights how desperate the fighting really was. While on other battlefields there was time to form divisions or even entire corps for an assault, at the Battle of Antietam, entire brigades were thrown into the fight piecemeal, and in this case, at a run. With so many regiments being thrown in at the same time, it is understandable that Colonel Souter was surprised that he was no longer fighting with his brigade, which was itself engaged further north in the West Woods. Colonel Souter ordered the 34th New York to retreat from their position, and now the Dunker Church belonged to Sergeant McDaniel's brigade, while he and the 7th South Carolina occupied a hill just to the southeast. No sooner did we gain the top of the hill that they opened a most murderous fire of grape and shells from batteries on our right, front, and left. Of all the cannonading I ever experienced, this was the most destructive. Despite being surrounded by artillery on three sides, Sergeant McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina advanced on the artillery to their front. 
It seemed almost whole lines would melt away at once. Still, the cry was, onward men, onward! A portion of us had nearly reached the batteries in front, killed and driven off most of the gunners. This was Battery D of the 1st Rhode Island Light Artillery from the 1st Corps. Captain J. Albert Monroe, the battery commander, describes the 7th South Carolina's advance. While engaged forcing back the enemy in the wood, a body of sharpshooters had, unobserved, crept along under a little ridge that ran diagonally to the front of the Rhode Island battery and opened a most unerring fire upon it, killing and disabling many horses and men. As quick as possible, a section was ordered to open upon them with canister, which though it caused them no injury, they lying down under the ridge, kept them almost silent, they firing only but an occasional shot, but without effect. Battery D, 1st Rhode Island, successfully halted the 7th South Carolina, but had to redirect its fire toward Confederate artillery. The 7th South Carolina took advantage of this, as Captain Monroe continues. The sharpshooters took advantage of the opportunity thus afforded, and opened most briskly, severely wounding a number of my men and killing and disabling a large number of horses. Though the 7th South Carolina was successful in its front, they could not hold their position for long and had no choice but to retreat, according to Sergeant McDaniel. But at this juncture, we discovered that we could not hold these batteries. We had no supports. While the enemy had new lines in their rear, while we were enfiladed by their batteries on the right and left. The artillery described were batteries from the 1st and 2nd Corps. Battery A of the 1st Rhode Island Light Artillery, commanded by Captain John A. Tompkins, who was on the right flank of the 7th South Carolina, describes the scene. At 9.30, the enemy appeared on my right front with a large column, apparently designing to charge the battery. I was not aware of their approach until the head of the column gained the brow of a hill about 60 yards from the right gun of the battery. The pieces were immediately obliqued to the right, and a sharp fire of canister opened upon them, causing them to retire in confusion, leaving the ground covered with their dead and wounded, and abandoned one of their battle flags, which was secured by a regiment that came on my right after the enemy had retreated. Sergeant McDaniel and what remained of his regiment retired further into the woods in their rear, while other Confederate units were thrown into the fight. From that relative safety, Sergeant McDaniel took stock of the fighting around the Dunker Church. We now fell back to our first line, the 7th Regiment having lost 169 killed and wounded being half the men carried into action. Company M lost 17 of 29 carried into action. The other regiments of the brigade also suffered severely. Though the day's fighting continued, specifically in the center and southern parts of the battlefield, Sergeant McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina would not re-enter the battle, which ended that day. The next morning, the 18th, was the first time since 15 September 
when the regiment was on Elk Ridge and looking down on Harper's Ferry, that the 7th South Carolina received food to eat. On the evening of 18 September, the Army of Northern Virginia began its withdrawal from Maryland back into Virginia. Sergeant McDaniel had just lived through the Battle of Antietam, or Sharpsburg, and was the bloodiest single-day battle of the Civil War. J.J. McDaniel became a Company First Sergeant on 1 December 1862, just before the Battle of Fredericksburg. He was wounded in battle on 2 July 1863 at Gettysburg and served as an enrolling officer in the Lexington District of South Carolina until he was discharged in 1864. J.J. McDaniel kept a diary during the war and started to adapt it into a book entitled Diary of Battles, Marches, and Incidents of the 7th South Carolina Regiments, but he never published it. J.J. McDaniel's unpublished book ends after the Battle of Fredericksburg. Thank you for listening to the seventh episode. The link to J.J. McDaniel's unpublished book is now on the podcast website, firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. In this episode's social media posts on Instagram, Facebook, and X is a picture of the Dunker Church sometime after the battle, still showing damage from the artillery that hit the church. The picture is the view from the small hill that Sergeant J.J. McDaniel and the 7th South Carolina occupied for a time before retreating. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you find the podcast, and tell your friends about it. As it is Black History Month, the podcast will highlight two non-commissioned officers and one officer that won the Medal of Honor in the next episode, and Captain John McMurray of Company D, 6th United States Colored Troops, provides next week's first-person account at the Battle of New Market Heights. My name is Bill Coglin, and thank you for listening to First Person Civil War Podcast.